Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session. Pediatric patients, they either make your day or absolutely break it. And oftentimes, a big part of it comes down to how well you can numb them up. Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name is Erica Huynh and we are joined with Dr. Deb Wong, a paediatric dentist based in Melbourne, to talk all about our favourite demographic of patients, children. Now, whether you love them or hate them, as new grads, oftentimes we're the ones that are seeing them all. And we all realise just how crucial our role is to foster a safe and nurturing and comfortable environment for them so that they're not scared to come to the dentist, that they're motivated to come in for regular checkups, to look after their teeth and to let us treat them. I know personally, I still get anxious when having to numb up my little patients. There's so much that goes into it, from working on a tiny mouth on such a tiny little patient, whether they be fidgety or anxious or talkative or curious. You have to be so on top of multitasking, doing things quickly, efficiently, talking to them to keep them distracted and entertained and instill confidence in them, all the whilst trying to do the very best job you can clinically as well. And perhaps the most important step, but also the step that makes or breaks the appointment, your patient's trust in you and their attitude towards dentists overall is how well you can numb them up. And so in today's episode, we're going to break it all down. So stay tuned for a jam-packed episode filled with wonderful insight that you can bring along into your next appointment with your little patients. Dr. Debord, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I think what we'll start off with is our first topic, which is essentially painless LA or LA for children. And now this is your area of expertise, what you do day in, day out. And as new grads, you know, oftentimes we're the ones that get given all the pediatric patients Mm. (laughs) in our (laughs) clinics. I've seen my fair share of them now having worked a few months. And what I feel like is probably one of the most difficult things with children is obviously, you know, we want to create a pleasant experience for them when they come to the dental clinic, right? But giving them injections and numbing them up isn't always the most pleasant thing. And so I kind of wanted to dive into this topic with you on how do we make giving LA as comfortable as possible for our little patients that we see. And perhaps to start it off, I wanted to get your thoughts on just how do you feel like that experience differs for a child compared to an adult, just giving LA and their sensation and perception of pain and all these different feelings. Yeah, that's actually a really great area. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I think it's an area that we don't talk about enough, actually, not just because obviously, like you said, children, you know, they can be anxious. We want to give them a pleasant experience, but also how they process pain and even on a physiological basis, things are different and anatomically their their nervous system is immature. This is an area I think I'm extra passionate about because my husband's actually a pain physician. So he's a pain specialist. And even as a pediatric postgrad, so in specializing, I don't think we talk about this enough. I think that's so fascinating about, you know, obviously you come from a really interesting perspective than being a pediatric dentist, but then having that insight and input from your husband as well. But you mentioned something there about how anatomically, physiologically it differs. And that's not something I even realized. I always thought it was more just mentally, their perception was different. But yeah, diving into, I guess, those different levels of why pain, perhaps perception differs between adults 
and children. Perhaps we can start off with there and then how that then influences how you know, LA works differently for them. Yeah, so I'll first differentiate between nociception and pain. So nociception is when there's the firing of nerve endings in response to a noxious stimuli like drilling on a physiological level, whereas then pain is the brain's interpretation of nociception. And as we know, pain is influenced by like biological, psychological and social factors. So just defining that first. So with children processing pain, their brain is still learning how to, to process and interpret nociception. And that's why I think we will, would have all experienced that um, even when kids have significant pathology, uh, like a big dental abscess, parents are saying, oh, they've never had any pain. Or sometimes when we're drilling in, we're thinking, oh, they're not saying they're in any pain. But are they still suffering? Are they still experiencing nociception? Absolutely, 100%. So on a physiological level, things are still happening. Pain is, yeah, the brain kind of learning because pain is actually a a learnt response. It's a modelled type of behaviour actually. So if kids haven't been exposed with their siblings or their families having experienced pain, they actually don't know what it is or or how to express it. Pain is generally the brain realising that there's something bad and, you know, to verbalise it and that's to seek help. But again, like if, you, if you've never experienced it, you're not going to, to, to know that you need to say it's painful. Kids don't know that. But it doesn't mean that on a physiological experience level, they're, they're experiencing nociception. How we administer LA for children versus adults, it means we're in a very special position where we can, what we do for a child, you know, their first time having a needle drilling into their tooth, it's, it's really important we do it right, that we're not hurting them, we're not breaking them, and because that experience will affect them, not only the experience of dental pain, but pain in general as well. So that's the thing, I think, with children. Everything's new. So we have to interpret, we have to be careful with, yeah, when we decide, when we need to administer LA, when we don't. In terms of pain history, that's a big impact as well, just because they're not saying that they're experiencing pain doesn't mean that on a physiological level the tooth isn't undergoing pulpitis. I think you open it up really well into, yeah, exactly what I wanted to cover, where you talk about how you don't always necessarily need to give LA and in which situations do you and don't you. And that's what I wanted to cover next. But a comment you made earlier that it, as you're speaking, I'm just, my mind's starting to think about all these different situations where, yeah, kids don't necessarily have that perception of pain or that construct of it and it's very much shaped by you know, as they um, grow up and their environment and whatnot and I'm just thinking yeah even situations when people talk about you know taking out a tooth for a child and them not being able to differentiate between pain and pressure I think that's one of them but then also I wanted to get your thoughts and I don't know whether we cover it now or a little bit later but maybe a bit later would be better but just you know when you're giving LA to children and then the parents that are hovering or the parents that grab onto their hands and tell them it's okay or like it'll only hurt a little bit. I wonder, and I'm sure you've probably got thoughts on this step, is just, oh, does that help or does it not help? Is that, you know, creating that narrative of what pain is like or, you know, how do we go about it? Dr. Michael Mernikos, Dr. David Atia, Dr. Derek Mahoney, Dean Lysenblatt, Dr. Mehdi Rahimi, Dr. Amanda Fu Nguyen, Dr. Novnil Kashyap, 
Dr. Jesse Green, Dr. Esau Malani, Dr. David McIntosh, Kathy Metaxas, and Dr. Paul Homily. Do these names ring a bell? Presenting the Dental Summit 2023, bringing together Australia's most renowned dental experts and world-class speakers all together in the same room for the largest dental event of the year. Join like-minded individuals for two whole days worth of CPD held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, September 1st and 2nd, followed by a cocktail gala night to remember. Whether you're a new grad or an experienced dentist, there's something in it for you. So in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit our show notes or the webpage tds23.com for more information. Early bird tickets and June 30, so jump in quick. And don't forget to use our discount code DHS10 for an additional 10% off your ticket purchase. situations would you say we need to administer LA and which situations could you get by without? Yeah, definitely. So I think when you're drilling into a tooth, I think you could probably be in the mindset if this was an adult patient, you know, would they experience pain? So if it's just the caries is in enamel, I think you could get away with no LA. If it's getting kind of mid-dentine, you're doing an MO or DO, I think a good question to ask yourself is, if I were doing this for an adult patient, would I be lo- using local? And if your answer is yes, then that absolutely applies for a child as well. Yeah, so it's really important. The other thing is a little bit on a different uh, tangent is even though the first time when you're drilling in and the child's saying, oh, no, no, it's fine, you're drilling into dentine, like we said, like no deception is still happening. The brain might not be saying, I'm actually in pain yet. But actually what happens is then the second or third time that happens, not necessarily even in the same tooth, but like in the mouth, there's actually further upregulation of um, those pain signals so that in the future, and this could be, I'm not saying like next week or in a month, it could be even as in a few years time when there's more drilling or dental work, you actually, the brain interprets as, oh, that's actually really, really painful because in the past there's been a little bit of nociception. I haven't had to say it's painful, but now I have to detect, I'm detecting it even quicker and because I need to protect myself the second or third time. And that's just not just for the mouth, but in a lot of thinking more holistically about that's how like to get a bit complicated into like chronic pain um, and persistent pain. That's how going into more like medical areas, that's why adults can have ongoing pain when there might not be a lot of actual pathology happening due to like past experiences, previous episodes of more minor, minor pain. Mm, it reminds me of kind of when we learn about like allergies and sensitization. It's, yeah, that's a really interesting point about even if they don't experience it now, it's priming the body that perhaps in the future they may be more sensitive to it. Yeah. Another thought is I, I was thinking in preparation for the podcast is um, mm. I don't know if re, uh, listeners have ever thought about this. Why do surgeons use local whilst under GA? You know, the patient is absolutely, you know, asleep. They're not saying they're in pain. You know, the surgeon's cutting away, but surgeons always give local before they do any procedure, even though they're not feeling the pain. The reason is, again, there is still no susception on that physiological level. So the nerve fibers are still firing. And if they give local before they cut, that means there's going to be less post-op pain in the immediate term. And as we said before, then less persistent pain in the long run as well. So I think anytime we think there's going to be 
pain, like for an adult, it applies for a child as well. In a dental setting, obviously, if we're restoring the tooth, it's also you know great to use rubber dam. It makes our life easier as well. So um, that's probably another another reason to use local while you're there. Yeah, just to keep the whole area nice and comfortable. Yeah. I guess moving on from that idea, and I think that's such a great summary of just how pain develops and is experienced by children. Perhaps moving on into, okay, communication. And I think that kind of ties hand in hand with how they perceive it is just how do you communicate to them then, you know, when you're going to administer the LA. And I'm just thinking about, yeah, how we tie this into managing the parents as well. Because I think this comes hand in hand, not just how the patients experience it, but then how the parents are there interacting. What would you say your first experience, or particularly for children who have never been to the dentist before, they're getting their very first um, filling done, they're being numbed up for the very first time. What is your usual dialogue that you would run through, Deb? Yeah, so I think it's really important. I think you mentioned this earlier, Erica, to to avoid using kind of negative terminology around the the appointment, and not even to say, "Oh, you're going to have to be really brave." You know, it's not going to hurt that much because it might not hurt at all. When patients are being or children are being reassured, they realize they pick up. You know, there's something to be reassured about. There's something That's scary. Exactly it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think before going into the appointment or in preparation, we usually have like some sort of handout for the family as well, for the parents, just to say, please avoid using these words like pain, needle. Um, obviously, we will be using a needle, but we don't need to kind of show it to the patient especially at that young age. It's not that we're lying, but we don't need to show them something sharp. We'll tell them that um, we're putting the tooth to sleep, as you probably know, you know, using the sleep cream, all that sort of thing. It's going to be feeling a bit strange and fat and fuzzy, uh, might even be a bit tickly on the tooth. But using alternate terminology instead of painful, you might say that when you're injecting, it's going to feel a little bit cold. Of course, distraction's always really good as well. Yeah, so I think not making a huge deal out of it, I suppose, is a good one as well, but also preparing them. And then obviously you're preparing them in terms of just expect some sounds, some noises, you know, calling the handpieces different things like the buzzy bee or, you know, it feels like a yeah. mum's mobile phone vibrating um, <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in your tooth. So I guess not I dwelling that. on just the LA, but, you know, give them some idea what to expect, but not to make it seem negative or something that they need to be scared about. Do you tend to outline what exactly is going to happen for the children in terms of, or when you, you're going to numb them up? Do you say like, oh, I'm, do you create a story? Is it the same story you tell for all your patients? Or do you have a few different stories that you tell them just to explain the idea of, you know, numbing the tooth up, putting the tooth to sleep? What do you say? Yeah. So I think, I think every dentist will probably craft their own special story around LA that they give to every child and their nurses rolling their eyes because I've heard this a million times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me, yeah, it depends on the child. Obviously, if we're using happy gas and things, that might change. If it's happy gas, I think it's nice. It's easier to go on a bit of an imaginary journey, like a little mental journey, bit of distraction, walk them mentally. To, to the beach, the ocean, which doesn't really, yeah, it's more distraction. Whereas other times it's just more that the tooth is going to sleep, putting on his or her pyjamas. What colour are the pyjamas? They have like polka dots on them. Are they going to be rainbow? Having a little chat with the DA saying, oh, you know, DA Jenny, 
you know, what colour do you think the PJs are going to be? Are they going to be, you know, are we going to hear the tooth snore? I know another, I know someone else who uses a story where they might talk about the tooth fairy flying around and she's going to land on your tooth and she has these magical rainbow wings and sharp high heel shoes, pointy high heel shoes. And as she lands, you might start injecting a little bit. I think, yeah, I think it's more mostly distraction, to be honest, and obviously using good topical and everything like that beforehand. I think that perhaps is something that's interesting because obviously that's a big difference between adults and children where for adults, I think we feel the need to explain to them, okay, first I'm going to you know, numb you up and then oh, I'll sit you up, you can have a rinse and then you know this is the steps. I think we're a lot more procedural, whereas from listening to how you're describing the experience for children is they don't need to know step by step what you're doing you're just kind of creating a narrative to keep them distracted as you carry out those steps, but they don't need to know exactly what's happening at each point there. Yeah, and you can say perhaps that you might feel a little bit cold next to your tooth, you know, your tooth's going to feel sleepy, but I don't think you need to say you're going to feel a sharp pain or, you know, a bit of it. I'll even avoid, if you can, like a pinch, you avoid a pinch. And obviously depends on the child, some children and the age of the child. They're really, really anxious. Obviously, this is probably not going to be enough. If this is their first experience, this this is a good way to do it. I've also heard stories of kids where they've had the needle and it's been fine. And then afterwards, the parent has said, oh my gosh, you did so well. You had your need, your first needle. And then the patient realised, oh, that was a needle. Actually, I don't think I like it because I know a needle is nasty. And then the second or third appointment, even though the first experience was really positive, they're primed and they're like, well, where's this needle? Because, you know, kids are so intelligent. They pick up on everything. Yeah. So it's, it's really special to be able to give them their first experience of, of dentistry, knowing that it'll, it can impact their whole life or perception of, of, yeah, of dental, dentistry and dental health. That's such a fascinating comment that you make because I had a little girl the other day came in exactly that scenario where she'd had a tooth taken out at another dentist and apparently she was wonderful, like didn't bat an eye, was really cooperative throughout the whole appointment, let them take, let her numb, let them numb her up, take out the tooth and it wasn't until she got home that it sank in and then she was meant to go back to that same dentist to have another tooth taken out but she was just flat out just refused they got there she wouldn't lie back she was just so scared and like her mum had brought her in to come see me because they kind of agreed that oh okay maybe if we go to a different clinic with a different dentist things might be different but she was just so terrified and the mum was so surprised because apparently in her first appointment just was fine no dramas didn't cry didn't bat an eye but it's like what you say when they get home and it sinks in or maybe something was mentioned and now it's the pieces are all falling together place Mm. as a new grad i had to register with an indemnity insurer in order to practice and having loads of options didn't make that any easier When I came across Dental Protection Limited, they made it easy for me to sign up with them with their streamlined registration process and they also had heaps of added bonuses for signing up, like webinar events, workshops and various online learning. Dentistry is hard and the stress of patient complaints can add to the everyday stress. Knowing I have DPL behind me every step of the way makes me feel confident stepping into work. If you want to feel like someone has your back going into work, you should give DPL a chance and discover what they can do for you. I think you make a really interesting comment as well 
about yeah the parents and what we were what we were saying before about you know you giving them a handout and telling them to avoid using certain language or you know to avoid making a big deal out of it it just reminds me my brother has a little baby so my little baby niece uh, she's just started walking now and obviously with children as they walk they do tumble and they fall right and one thing that they've said is to not make big to not make a big deal when she falls over because i think when mum and dad oh, you know, worry or they come and coddle them. That's when they, exactly what what you said, they may be fine, but getting that reassurance then makes them question, oh, was something not meant to be fine? (laughs) And then they they start to to get upset. Whereas if you don't bat an eye, then they don't really react much to it. Yeah, that's actually what we're doing now with our seven months as well. My husband has said, yeah, just, you know, we say oopsie and move on sort of thing and to expect that. They have to learn also that when they fall over, you know, they're going to experience, you know, to not just fall over on hard ground. Like they have to learn. It's a learned behavior. So we have to let them, <laughs> let them fall a little bit, obviously within, you know, within reason. But yeah, that's right. With children, everything impacts them, even the smallest things. And um, even when you're doing the treatment, I suppose, always focus on the positives. Like I suppose uh, the t- visit of the tooth fairy, you know, what sort of prize the tooth fairy is going to give you, cleaning out the germs, you know, the end result. If they're into this, if they're into the crown, you know, what sort of princess crown or robot tooth you're going to have. Yeah. If, if we're doing something under GA, we'll say, you know, focus on the positives, like going to have some ice cream or jelly afterwards all the fun parts rather than the parts which could be scary. Definitely. We were talking before about, yeah, their feeling as whilst they're getting numb, you mentioned, oh, they might feel a bit of cold. I really like the comment about, oh, the tooth fairy and she's got pointy heels because sometimes they do feel a bit of a pinch. And, you know, sometimes I'll have kids say to me like, oh, I felt that. And now it's in my head. I'm thinking, oh, okay, what story do I make up now <laughs> for why they, they felt that? Um, aside from the little um, pointy heels, do you have anything else that you would say to them when they do feel the prick and they make a comment about it? I think we sometimes we say like, oh, the tooth had a little bit of a dream and just woke up a little bit or um, <laughs> had a little, I mean, a little bit of a tickle. Sometimes sometimes you can only do that for really young kids. Yeah, but then just saying, well, you know, well done. That was, you know, really good. The tooth's really asleep now. Just uh, inside you might be feeling a bit worried, but um, as long as you keep your cool and just praise them, I think is a good one as well. And focus on the next part because usually the LA is the hardest. Yeah, the LA is usually the hardest part really. After that, if you've numbed up thoroughly, it should be pretty straightforward putting on, especially once you put the rubber dam on it, you know, everything else is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, another thing that I've noticed that a lot of little kids find really strange and oftentimes perhaps upset some of them is the numbness, the feeling of being numb. I always tell them that I'm growing a marshmallow <laughs> in their cheek and it's going to feel really fat and funny. What do you describe that to children? And, you know, even times I've had parents say, oh, it's when they've gone home and just that numbness that really bothers them. What is your little story around that? Yeah, I think that is just something that is very difficult to get around. I think preparing the parent because some anxious parents, they think it's, you know, something wrong that you've done as a clinician, especially if the child is 
very worried, but often it is the numbness rather than post-op pain or anything like that and just making sure that they're not biting their lip or their tongue. So I don't think I, I don't really tell like a full story, just show them in the mirror that they look totally normal, especially sometimes girls, they're thinking that they look like the elephant man or something, but that actually they look totally normal, that it's just gone to sleep, it's gone on a bit of a, it's gone on a bit of a holiday for one or two hours and just say, you know, by the time it's if it was a morning procedure by lunchtime, just give them a set time frame kind of so they know when to work towards as to when it'll feel better. So you can say, oh, by lunchtime, you'll feel totally normal by then. You might feel like some little ants are walking around your lip. That's normal as well. Don't be worried. Actually, you probably shouldn't say don't be worried. Um, <laughs> no false expectations, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that one's hard because numbness, it's just – a new experience. I don't like it either. So I think it's just letting them know it's it's not going to be forever. It's only going to be for one or two hours. So I think when we give the LA, we just have to make sure it's the right amount as well. So it's not, we have to use enough so that it's, the area is anaesthetized enough. We can do everything we need to, but it's not so long lasting that they're going to bite on their lip and cause out the damage. Yeah, actually, in terms of that, then, what would you say is enough? And, you know, what do you normally use? Lignocaine, Idocaine, Mepivacaine? Like, what's your choice when working just with children? And I guess a brief, perhaps, overview of max doses, because I think, you know, oftentimes that's something that I think is important for us to all have in the back of our head when mm-hmm. working with little mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think. Mostly I would use Articane just because we all know it kind of diffuses through the bone a little bit better. I Yeah, the manufacturer instructions are that it's not safe to use for under four years of age, so in which case I would switch to Lignocaine instead. Yeah, in terms of how much to give and making sure it's not too much, it's not too little, probably depend on the procedure you do. So for, for restoration or a crown or something like that, probably – one, one and a half mils. Extraction might more be like the full carpule, so 2.2 mils. Obviously, if they've got facial swelling or something like that, you're probably going to use have to use a bit more. Just like with an adult patient, if it, if you're doing an extraction, I'm sure we all do it. You kind of probe around there, make sure it's, it's thoroughly asleep before we um, extract it. Max dose. So, so there's obviously like the guidelines you can look up, whether that be AAPD or the therapeutic guidelines. So with kids, it is really easy to overdose them. Um, so you should be aware rough, you know, how much they weigh, especially if they're really young, that's, that's a concern. So you can, you know, have a little table or just try to remember it. So essentially like you know, your 2% lignocaine for the one 2.2 mil carpule. Uh, essentially, it's um, you can use one whole carpule in a 10 kilogram child. Uh, that's the max amount. Whereas for articane, 4%, you can use the whole carpule for a 12 kilogram child and then work from there. But I think, yeah, unless they're very, yeah, they're on the, on the younger side, um, you shouldn't really be using more than one carpule generally anyway. So um, you shouldn't be heading towards max dose, hopefully. Yeah. What happens if you're working in multiple areas 
of their mouth then. Yeah. Because I think that can then be easy. Mm, mm, that's mm-hmm. yeah, then that's right. That that would be easier. Then you just have to yeah, you have to be very careful not to give too much and hopefully articane you, you can use a bit less. Well, Deb, let's go from, I guess that's very much like the theory and the communication aspect of giving LA for children. I wanted to dive into, I guess, practical steps of giving LA. And we spoke before about, you know, going using plenty of topical and I wanted to perhaps we talk about it in terms of extractions because I think that's probably where being nice and numb is most important and I know personally where I struggle the most in numbing up children and I'm not sure whether it's you know their different perception of pain or whatever it may be but I wanted to talk through I guess you know any tips and tricks that you have for I guess administering LA for them. I'm sure buckle is more or less the same for adults and children, but do you have any tips on, I guess, particularly the palatal and, you know, do you do intrapapillary, slowly making your way to the palatal? What do you you normally do? Yes. So for extractions, I would use, um, do the buckle first and then, as you said, go through the papilla to do the, um, to get to the palatal. So just doing it really, really slowly, kind of one mil for one minute really, and then gradually going through the papilla, making sure that you can see the blanching on the other side of the palatal. And then uh, and then if you need to, you can also inject, inject palatally as well. I mean, you can use like the wand and things like that. That I have found in my experience for palatal injections, that's really quite comfortable, but not all of us, not everyone has the wand. And essentially it's I think it's very similar to just injecting really, really, really slowly. I don't think, yeah, it's very similar really. Just want to go slower, use lots of topical. With topical, make sure you dry the mucosa as well so that it's absorbing the topical. I personally always use a cotton roll. That's just my thing. Leave it on there for a good minute before you start injecting. Hmm, Does that answer your question? Yeah, I guess so. Even with, I guess, teeth that are more mobile, already mobile, would you still be doing the same thing? Uh, If teeth are more mobile. Yeah. As in, you know, they're only hanging on by a little bit. Do you still do the full buckle and palatal just to cover your bases or? If they're super mobile, so they're about to exfoliate, um, there's like no infection around there. Um, I find topical should be sufficient as long as when you get there and extract, this is like grade three mobility with very little root as long as when you take it out it's extremely quick like it's a one second extraction as long as you're not dwelling in that area so the main thing also is as you mentioned sometimes kids even though it is supremely numb they're having difficulty uh, differentiating between pressure and and pain and you're sure that it is not pain is to get in there and extract it really quickly don't do not dig around be really you just need to, I mean that you'll get faster with practice but get in there and get it done often parents tell me wow that was so quick which can be difficult if, if it's not mobile but maybe that's a bit different to adults where you can spend a bit more time luxating making sure it's really really mobile um, whereas with children their bone is a little bit more flexible as well so you may not need to luxate quite as much obviously you want to remove the whole tooth but I think making sure you're not dwelling in that area for too long and therefore if you do need to apply pressure it's quick but of course it needs to be number one needs to be completely numb 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that you've brought up. And I know that I've definitely been in that mindset before, because when I do extractions for adults, I'm very much like take, and I think that's what school taught us is you take your time. You don't want to do any sudden movements. You don't want to snap the root. But for children, I think that was probably the biggest mentality change of, okay, I need to do this quicker rather than just, you know, poking around, playing around with it too much, because that makes them more anxious and they're perceiving all these different pressure and they're getting uncomfortable. I think I only took out my first actual like non-mobile tooth for a little um, seven-year-old just the other day where they had an abscess. And that was my first time, you know, taking out one that wasn't already mobile and realizing, and it was on a really easy little boy. He like, you know, didn't bat an eye, but just actually realizing, oh, it doesn't take that much effort. Yeah, especially if it's abscess, it should be pretty mobile already. So get in there, get it done. Um, like I said, number one, make sure it is actually numb. So, um, and you obviously explain to the child that it how how what it's going to feel like. So I would tell you know the child that you're going to hear some crackling like rice bubbles, a bit of pushing, and show him kind of pushing on the shoulder as well. This is what you're going to experience. But when you do it, just make it quick. Don't prolong it for five minutes. That'll that'll make them feel sad <laughs> and make sure <laughs> make sure your nurse is really prepared as well. So have everything ready. So yeah, you shouldn't be luxating for too long, especially in an infected tooth and get in there, take it out and uh, be done with the nasty bit, which is the, the crackling sound. Yeah. And I guess with blocks then as well, in what situations do you do a block for a child and when can you get away with an infill? Mostly in my practice, I'll be using infiltration. So blocks, pretty rare. Usually only if there's like a lower E and there's facial swelling, really big intraoral swelling and the buccal infiltration and lingual infiltration is not cutting it or restoration of a a hypermineralized lower six or extract extraction of a lower six. That's pretty much it. Otherwise, Articane does a pretty good job going buccal and palatal. Yeah, with with a block, just making sure you're using obviously a short needle for kids, for young kids. Yeah. Make sure, you, again, sometimes a block is useful if you need to do multiple, like a whole quadrant or something like that. And then therefore there's only, I suppose, one one insertion rather than multiple little, little um, injections. But I do find myself just doing more infiltrations rather than blocks. Yeah. Mainly buckle infills. Do you need to do the lingual as well or mainly is buckle usually sufficient? Yeah, I would do lingual as well, especially if uh, there's like a you're extracting a tooth or using a rubber dam clamp just to make that more comfortable as well. Yeah, no taken. That's a good tip because I think normally you know, we just associate doing, you know, working on the lower, especially mandibular molars, we go straight for blocks, but the inner children. I was thinking about it the other day as well because we talk about their bone being a lot more porous and penetrable and infill one is a lot easier to do, a lot more comfortable, but it's perfectly sufficient. But the lingual infill I think is something that I will try in the future. With lingual yeah. it will also uh, what I do mm. is similar to the palatal which is going through the... Do you do that as well? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, with the papilla. Mm. So similar, yeah, exact same as the with the palatal um, infiltration going through the papilla first. Good tips. Deb, do you have any other final remarks or final comments about giving LA or any other pro tips that you want to leave with our listeners? Um, I think the only thing is with LA... You just want to assess, take a step back and assess the child and think, are they going to be able to tolerate the local or is this something that needs a little bit of assistance like happy gas or is this 
or is LA completely out of the park, you know, out of the possi- realm of possibilities and needs a GA or something like that? Because of the, with, the thing with the kids is we don't want – they're not guinea pigs either. So sometimes it's like, oh, we'll just give it a try. But I think in your mind you kind of need to know is, this, is there a pretty good chance this is going to work out because – Really, the worst case scenario is that um, you give it a try, and it's maybe the first visit's okay. Second visit, they lose it. You've kind of traumatized them, and then they still need to do the rest of the treatment under sedation. So I think it's really hard because obviously sometimes kids come for an emergency visit. But taking a step back, looking at the big picture with a child, it's not just getting them through that one appointment and that one tooth. There's probably other stuff going on as well and seeing what is the best uh, in the big picture in the long term as well. There's a lot of pressure to treating children and we know when we see our adult patients how often they come in, especially the anxious ones who say that, oh, you know, it's because as a child I had a really traumatic experience or like, you know, I was really scared of going to the dentist. And then now we realise, yeah, when we're treating our, you know, paediatric patients that, you know, we hopefully are able to create a more positive experience so that when they're all grown up, they don't have that same mentality, right? So yeah, it is important. And I think that's a good point about being able to assess that and not using them and not just giving it a go because you might not be able to come back from that. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.